0: Well good morning and welcome to Fellowship Bible Church. We are so glad that you are here or you're watching online to be with us and to worship the Lord our God this morning. Would you stand with us this morning? We're going to teach you a chorus to a new song and invite you to join with us as we praise the Lord Almighty this morning. We sing, you are mighty God, you
1: Good morning, fellowship. We are so grateful to be able to worship with you, and whether you're sitting on your couch at home or you're sitting in chairs here, we need to be reminded um, of God's incredible words to us. We need to sing his words. We need to pray his words. We need to say scripture together, and we are thankful that you're here Hey, would you take just one minute, just a moment and think of something that you are very thankful for? If you're sitting close enough to somebody, share what you're thankful for or you can put it in the comment um, box online. If this is your first Sunday at fellowship or your first Sunday for a while, We want to say a special welcome to you, and we want to point you to the QR code that gives you all the fellowship news. This is the place to check for all the details, and I'm going to mention a few this morning, and if you need to be reminded or to find out more, please um, go to fellowship news. Have you ever tried to plan a party for maybe... 300, 350 people, and you sent out the invitations and just got a few RSVPs back? That's kinda what is happening here um, for our planning our fellowship worship services. And we're asking you and, rem- and reminding you to please reserve your seats and let us know what service you're planning on coming. It doesn't always guarantee a seat, but it sure helps us to plan and prepare better. This Sunday is the first of nine weeks that and Sam's going to kick us off into a series in Joshua. We have heard from many of you that you love to take notes, and we found a great resource for you. There's a Joshua journal. We have a few available in the in the foyer if you'd like to pick one up for $5, or you can order it from your favorite online store. But this is a great tool to bring with you on Sunday morning or to use at, um, along with your study at home or you can take it with you or use it on with your um, circle of six. Community groups are kicking off in the next two weeks and if you have not found a circle of six to connect with, would you please let us help you there are um, the community team um, is in the foyer and they would love to connect you. It's our prayer that each of you will have a circle of six to um, Pray together and learn together this winter and spring. So many learning opportunities at Fellowship and if you will use your QR code, you will be able to see many of the online classes that are gonna start in February. It will give you all the details um, and you can register there. Next Sunday January 31st in this room at four o'clock, we're going to have a family worship service. Families, we know it's been difficult not having children's ministry open yet, but this is an opportunity for you to bring your family whatever the ages of your children, you can bring your neighbors. Make sure you reserve a seat, but we look forward to worshiping with you next week. Would you take a deep breath with me? Just close your eyes and remember, we're in the presence of the Almighty King. He's with us, He wants to speak with us this morning. And I'm going to pray over the service right now. Oh God, teach us more about who you are, teach us more about how we can trust you. And Jesus, would you put a passion in our hearts? to share your love and peace and hope with those around us, in your precious name, amen.
0: Take a moment just to rest in his goodness, in his presence, in his greatness this morning as we prepare our hearts to sing. How majestic is your name in all the earth you are great you are glorious we sing to you would you stand and sing with us how great thou art oh lord my god when i in awesome wonder consider you have for us this morning. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are a shield around me. My glory, the one who lifts my head, I call out to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep, I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God, strike all my enemies on the jaw, break the teeth of the wicked. We declare this, from the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Let's be reminded, By his word this morning that Christ the Lord is our deliverer. We look to the hills for that is where our help comes from. Let's sing
2: this together. My foes are many, they rise again. fear the war i will not fear the storm my health is on the way my health is on the
0: from you, that you are our deliverer, that in this life, in this time, we face so many anxieties and fears and foes. It feels like we're being attacked on every side. But God, we trust and we hope in you, the promise maker, the promise keeper. And as we have worshiped you through song this morning, pray that we continue to worship you for your faithfulness as we approach Your Word, that Your Holy Spirit would minister to us, make us into Your image, Your holy people. We pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated.
3: We'll open your Bibles this morning to the Book of Joshua. Over the last four weeks, we've been in a ministry takeover series where we have heard from some ministries that we're really passionate about here at Fellowship. We heard from Celebrate Recovery. We heard from Global Outreach, which is our missions ministry. We heard from our family team, and last week we heard from our marriage ministry. So I hope that you were informed and you were inspired. I wanna invite you to begin this nine-week journey in an area that I think is one of our greatest passions at fellowship, and that's teaching the authoritative Word of God verse by verse. I mean, this is what we do. If you're new to fellowship, uh, that's how we tackle our series each semester. We take a book of the Bible, we take a section of Scripture, work through it verse by verse, and then teach it in expository form. So, for the next nine weeks, journey with us through the Old Testament book of Joshua. We will be studying it in our Sunday morning teaching, so you can join us live in the room. You can join us online, the, the live stream at 9.30, or those will be available perpetually on our website thereafter. There will be a couple of companion resources I want to remind you about. First is we produce a Bible study, a discussion guide for every sermon. You can subscribe to that through your fellowship account on the, the internet website, And it will be delivered to your inbox on Wednesday or Thursday prior to the sermons. Great for your community group or for your men's group, women's group, or for personal development. Also, we have a training center class on Joshua. One of the classes that we want everybody at Fellowship to take is called Panorama of the Bible. It divides the biblical timeline into 12 movements. And we want you all to take that. But then Robert cup he's like Gandalf. He's going deep. He has a class for every movement in Panorama. So we're offering Panorama Plus 4 this semester, which is on the Conquest. It's on the book of Joshua. So you can join us for that. Joshua, sixth book of the Bible. It's the first of the historical books. And you can think of Joshua like a bridge. It's a bridge between the Pentateuch and the rest of the Bible. The Pentateuch, the books of Moses, the books of the law, and the rest of scripture. Let me summarize it for you. Joshua simply tells a story. It's a story of God fulfilling a promise to the nation of Israel, his chosen people. He promised that they would possess and dwell in the land of Canaan. So after the exodus out of Egypt and After the 40 years of wandering in the desert and after the death of Moses, the Lord commissioned Joshua to lead the nation of Israel into the promised land. Joshua chapter 21 verse 43 summarizes the book really well. So the Lord Yahweh gave Israel all the land he had sworn to give their ancestors and they took possession of it and settled there. This period of Bible history is known by most Bible commentators and theologians as the period of the conquest, and it is rooted in the promises of God. Why is the land called the promised land? And why do the Israelites have the right to dwell there? And why will God give Joshua every place he sets his foot? Because this land was sworn to them. God made a covenant with Israel to give this land to them. He promised it to them over and over again in the scriptures. The first time he gave that promise was in the book of Genesis chapter 12. He gave that promise to Abraham. It says this, the Lord, Yahweh, said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the what? To the land. By the way, it's on the screen and it's under land. Oh, no. For those of you online, they did not respond, but I know you did in your home, in your PJs. Go from your father's household to the land I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation and bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So the Abrahamic covenant, it comes in a a three-wave promise. He promised them a land. He promised them to be a numerous people, a great nation, and he promised to bless them so they could be a blessing to others. And that promise didn't just come to Abraham, but also to his son, Isaac, Genesis chapter 26. For to you and your descendants, I will give all these lands. And I will confirm the oath I swore to your father, Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. I will give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Land, numerous people, blessing. He also gave the promise to his son, Jacob, Genesis chapter 28. I am the Lord, Yahweh, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the... Land on which you are lying, your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, The north to this, from the north and to the south. All the peoples of the earth will be blessed through your offspring. You see those three things. Land, numerous people blessed to be a blessing. And not only was this promise conveyed to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it was also given to Moses, Exodus chapter 3. Now, at this point in the biblical timeline, the Israelites are in bondage. They are enslaved in Egypt under Pharaoh. And the Lord came to Moses and said this, Go assemble the elders of Israel and say to them that Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and I have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt and into the the land of Canaan, the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, a land flowing with milk and honey. So as you see, the promise was repeated. The promise was conveyed over time from the Lord to Israel again and again from generation to generation. And here was his plan. He planned to deliver them out of Egypt through the Red Sea and into the promised land, but they hit a snag There was a 40-year delay. You see, the Israelites ended up at this place called Kadesh Barnea. They were just outside the promised land, and Moses, their leader, sent 12 spies into the land. Uh, Two came back with this on-the-ground intel and said, there are some obstacles, but I think the Lord can deliver on his promise. Ten of the spies gave it a thumbs down and said, the Lord can't do this for us. The cities are too fortified. The enemies are too strong. And the people of, the, of Israel believed the ten. And they rebelled against Moses. They rebelled against the Lord. And they refused to enter into the promised land. So the Lord disciplined that unbelieving generation. And he said this in Numbers chapter 14. In this wilderness, your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years old or more, who was counted in the census and who grumbled against me. Not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except the two spies, Caleb and the namesake of our book, Joshua. So instead of entering the land, the Israelites wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. That whole unbelieving generation passed away, And only Caleb and Joshua entered in. Joshua is the story of God's faithfulness to his covenant promise to the nation of Israel. Despite their unbelief, he will finally deliver them into the land. And we will see that in our story. The book unfolds like this. This is as simple of an outline as you can have for the book of Joshua. We'll tackle it in three waves: Chapters 1 to 5, entering the land. Chapters 6 to 12, conquering land. The land and chapters 13 to 24, possessing or allocating the land. So, we've got a lot of scripture to cover. This is a 24 chapter book. We're going to cover it in nine weeks, dedicating four weeks to entering, two weeks to conquering, three weeks to possessing the land. Now, for those of you who have taken our training center class called Panorama of the Bible, here's where we're at on the biblical timeline. We are in movement four. Conquering the land, the conquest. For those of you who are biblical geography nerds, here's where we're at on the map. This is as simple of an, uh, a map of Israel that you can find. You always want to look for three things. In the north, a small body of water, that's the Sea of Galilee. By the way, if you ever get a chance to go to Israel with us, this will be your favorite day when we get on the boat and go on the Sea of Galilee. It's such a sweet time. In fact, we have two trips coming, one this fall with Nick Rowland, another two years from now with Mickey Rapier. If you're interested, email us, israel at fellowshipnwa.org, and we'll put you on the list. Now, the second thing you want to look for on the map is a body of water in the south, that's the Dead Sea, and then in between them, there is a river, which is known as the Jordan River. Now look at where the Israelites are at on the map. Do you see their little tent? They are encamped on the plains of Moab and they are on the eastern side of the Jordan River. Now there's a portion of the promised land there, but the majority of it is on the western side of the river. Okay, we've set up the series. We've given a brief background to the book Are you guys ready to journey with Joshua across the Jordan and into the promised land? All right, Joshua chapter one, verse one. Hey, but before we begin, let's pray. Well, Lord, we pray that over the next nine weeks that we would not just have information about Joshua and the Israelites and the Canaanites. But Lord, we would experience transformation. So Lord, I pray that you would... uh, Weave our story into this narrative about the Israelites. Show us who we are. And more importantly, show us who you are. And Lord, I pray that we would grow in our faith in this series. We'll give you all the credit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people, get ready to cross the Jordan River and into the land I am about to give them to the Israelites. The book of Joshua is bookended in death. It begins and ends with death. It begins with the death of Moses. It will end in chapter 24 with the death of Joshua. Now look at how these two are described. Moses is described as the servant of the Lord. It's a reverential title given to Moses. In fact, we'll see it three times in the first chapter of the book today. We'll see that phrase 15 times in the book of Joshua. Uh, 14 times it is attached to Moses, Moses, the servant of the Lord, Moses, the servant of the Lord. But one time, at the very end of the book, Joshua chapter 24, verse 29, It describes Joshua, servant of the Lord. And look at how this book is presenting Joshua. He begins as Joshua, son of Nun, the aide of Moses, or your version of the Bible may say the assistant of Moses. And then by the end of the book, he's Joshua, the servant of the Lord. He's Moses' peer. He's thrust into the hall of fame of legendary biblical leaders. And we're going to see the progression of Joshua from assistant coach to Hall of Fame in this story. And it reminds me of the vision of Fellowship Bible Church. It is our hope. It's our prayer. It's our dream. It's our mission to see the Lord do a progressive work in every one of your lives. That this would be a place where you, you grow and mature in the faith. That you grow in your knowledge, your skill, your, your passion, and your character. That you would become, as we say in our mission statement, a spiritual leader. A maturing disciple with a ministry focus. It's not our dream that you would come and sit in a seat and hear us preach and sing songs with us. Oh, that's too small a vision is to have attenders. We want to have spiritual influencers who make a difference in the world. And I love to see this progression in Joshua's life. Now, this is a major leadership transition for Joshua and for the nation. Moses is a legendary figure in Hebrew history. This is the guy who met the Lord at the burning bush. This is the guy who defied Pharaoh the leader of the world's superpower, Egypt. This is the one who led them out of Egypt and through the Red Sea. This is the one who met with God on the mountain and God gave him the 10 commandments. And this is the dominant figure of four of the first five books of the Bible. And Joshua has to succeed him. How would you like to follow in Moses' footsteps? Those are big sandals to feel. See what I did there? Well, Joshua is no newcomer to leadership. This isn't his coming out party. This isn't his introduction to the Israelites. Joshua has been around for a long time. In fact, he was with them in Egypt. And then he was in leadership in the wilderness. The first time you see Joshua appear in the biblical story is in Exodus chapter 17. And Joshua is a field general fighting the Amalekites under the raised arms of Moses. And then you see that he was with Moses on Mount Sinai when he received the law. And he was one of the 12 spies sent into the land in Numbers chapter 13. And he was designated by the Lord and approved by Moses to be his successor at the end of the book of Deuteronomy. Now look at verse 2. It's going to give us the plot line or the purpose, the mission of the book. It says that Moses is dead, which by the way, so is the disqualified generation from Kadesh Barnea in Numbers 13. And he says, Joshua, you and all these people, get ready. You're going to cross the Jordan and go into the land that I have promised you. So the Lord commanded Joshua. He commissioned Joshua to lead the Israelites to possess and to dwell in the promised land. Look at verses three to five. They offer a boost of confidence for the journey. The conquest will be rooted in the promises of God, and they will be, the conquest will be empowered by the presence of God. Verse 3. I will give you every place that you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert, that's in the south, to Lebanon, that's in the north, and from the great river, the Euphrates, that's in the east, and all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the West. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So God had promised the nation of Israel that they would enter this land, and now it was time to possess it. The Lord promised Joshua that he would give him every place that he set his foot, and it would all come to be by the promise of God. Not by the military might or skill or wisdom of the nation of Israel. The boundary lines were set. Victory was guaranteed. And the Lord said, no one will be able to stand against you. Now, this was critical information for Joshua and the nation because the last time that they, uh, the Israelites were at this point, where they were poised to enter the promised land, in Numbers chapter 13, they turned away in fear. They thought the enemies were too strong. They thought the the cities were too fortified. And they rebelled against Moses and the Lord. And God says here, I will give you the land by my promise. And no one will be able to stop you. And then he goes one step further. He promises Joshua his presence. He says, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And look at those last eight words. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And Joshua is going to need to remember this many times over the seven year period that he led the nation into the land. And I think they're good words for us to remember as well. So hear them again and take them to heart. The Lord says to you, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He is committed to you absolutely and unconditionally. He promises his presence, his companionship, his help always. Psalm 139 says there's nowhere we can go to flee from the presence of the Lord. Matthew 28 says he will be with us always, even to the ends of the earth. So in the heights of of joy and the depths of despair, he will be ever present in our lives. Second Timothy says, even if we are faithless, He will be faithful. So for those of you who feel forgotten, who feel abandoned, who feel alone, hear these words again. I will never leave you nor forsake you. He promises to be ever present in our lives. So take heart. Well, Joshua has his mission. He has the promises of God. He has the presence of God. Look at verse six, a challenge from God. He says, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and courageous as you lead, Joshua. We'll see this phrase repeated four different times in today's passage. He challenged Joshua to not shrink back in the face of this huge task before him. Weakness and fear would not get the job done. And note that Joshua is to lead them to inherit the land that God had swore to them, that he had promised to them, that he had given his covenant to them. That word inherit will appear over 50 times in the book of Joshua. This is a key concept. The nation is receiving the land. They're inheriting the land. Three times in the first six verses of chapter one, the Lord tells them to enter the land that he will give them. I want you to hold on to this thought. It'll be key for those who might struggle with the concept of viewing the Israelites as unjust invaders or think of them unfairly taking the land of Canaan. Be strong and courageous It's the same phrase given by the Lord through Moses to Joshua when he was commissioned as Joshua's successor at the end of the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 31, it says this. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all Israel, be strong and courageous for you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to their ancestors to give them. And you must divide it among them as their inheritance. Moses commissioned Joshua as his successor. And his instruction to him was the same as the instruction from the Lord. Be strong and courageous. Now, what does that mean? Be strong and courageous. And why would the Lord feel the need to repeat it over and over to Joshua? Well, to be strong is to have force or might, or power. It's to be able or to be up to a task. And and courage is facing difficulty or danger or pain without hesitation. Courage is doing what you're supposed to do even when you think you could fail or when you don't want to or when you don't feel like it. Courage is what pushes you past intimidation. It's what pushes you past fear. It's what pushes you back a lack of motivation. And courage is what was missing the first time that the Israelites were poised to enter the promised land. Franklin Delano Roosevelt said this about courage. Courage is not the absence of fear, but the assessment that something else is more important than fear. So why would Joshua need strength and courage? I've been pondering this. When you see repetition like that in the scripture four times, be strong and courageous, it should point you that this is important. So why would Joshua need strength and courage? Because on the one hand, it doesn't make sense to me at all. God's promised them the land. He's told them that none of their enemies will be able to stand against them. And he's told them that he will be with them. He'll never leave them. He'll never forsake them. So that sounds like a no-brainer, right? Let's just go do this, but... God keeps telling him, be strong and courageous. Why? Here are some thoughts. First, this is a monumental task. The nation of Israel at this point's population around 2 million people. Joshua's on a road trip with 2 million people to inherit, to occupy a land that they haven't dwelled in. And he must have been overwhelmed at the prospect before him. Secondly, He's implementing a major leadership transition and he's following a legend. This is his first day on the job, and even though he has the experience, even though he has been anointed by God, even though he's got Moses' approval, this must have been an intimidating role. Third, there's a literal physical obstacle before him. The Jordan River, as we'll see in chapter three, is at flood stage. There's no bridge, people, there's no boat. There's no ferry. Joshua is going to be asked to step into a flood stage river and walk across it. Fourth, the land is not empty. It's occupied. The Canaanites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, all the ites. They live there in fortified cities and they won't politely leave. So that's why the book of Joshua features three military campaigns. And lastly, there's a history of failure failure in the very task that Joshua has been given. The people rebelled against Moses and refused to enter the land 40 years ago and Joshua was there. And I wonder if in the in the back of his mind if he doesn't think that history might repeat itself. So the Lord says, "Joshua, be strong and courageous." So as you can see, there are many reasons for Joshua to need strength and courage, but one of the primary needs is that Joshua and the nation of Israel will be required to actively participate in the process of inheriting the land. The conquest would be achieved through obedience. Look at verses 7 to 9. Be strong and very courageous, Joshua. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you, and do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful in whatever you, wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So as the Israelites journeyed into the land, they would have to carefully obey the law and the instruction of the Lord to find success. They were to know the law of the Lord, to be fully committed to following it, not turning to the right or to the left. And God would give them specific instructions on where to go and what to do and, and how to battle. And their success would be dependent on their precise obedience. They had to follow his lead. He was going to give them everywhere they set their foot, but they had to step out. He was going to lead them across the Jordan, but they would have to step in. He would grant them victory in battle, but they would have to step up to the battle line. And we see here the third part of the equation. We have the promise of God. We've got the presence of God, but it would require the participation of the nation of Israel. They had to obey the law of the Lord. They had to keep his instruction. It sounds so simple. Obey the law of the Lord, follow his instructions, and you will prosper. That's easy, right? Right. I found that following the Lord, obeying what he asks us to do, is difficult at times. In fact, it's so difficult that it requires strength and courage. You could even define um, obedience as an act of courage. Doing what the Lord has commanded you to do, even if you don't think you can. Even if you don't want to, or you don't feel like it. Obey me, the Lord says, and you will be prosperous and successful. Now, I've been struggling with those two descriptors, prosperous and successful because in our culture they carry with it a sense or an idea of maybe wealth or fame or power or influence there's even a theological perspective out there called the prosperity gospel that teaches that the lord will grant you health and wealth in reward for your faithfulness or belief but but what does it mean here to be successful and prosperous. Well, for Joshua and the Israelites, it meant joining God in what he was doing. It meant experiencing the presence of God and seeing the glory of God as he led them into his will for their lives. As the Israelites saw the promises of God realized in their lives, whether through hardship or victory, they were experiencing the Lord at a more deeper level like never before. Mark Schatzman said this about success, that our culture's definition of success is getting what you want. But God's definition of success is joining him in what he is doing. Joshua and the nation are being given an invitation to experience the Lord like never before. And that's spiritual success. And that comes at the intersection of God's promises and our obedience. You could say it like this. Successful spirituality is rooted in the promises of God, but it's realized It's experienced through courageous obedience. Think about it. The land is theirs, but they have to take it. The battle will be won, but they have to fight. And as they follow the Lord and participate along the way, they will experience spiritual success, intimacy with God, powerful moments of awe and wonder. And that successful spirituality we will find is not only true for Joshua and the nation in the conquest, but this statement is true for us We'll get there in a minute. Hold tight. So we've got the promise of God. We've got the presence of God. We've got the required participation of the nation. So what will they do? Look at verse 10 and 11. This is how Joshua responds. He leads. Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. Joshua's up for the challenge. He will not cower in fear. He will not wilt in discouragement. He rallied the people to enter the land. He said, pack your bags. The countdown has begun. Let's go. But before they go on their journey, he gives them some logistical information there was a matter they had to undertake for efficiency's sake. You see, part of the promised land is on the east side of the Jordan, and there were two and a half tribes assigned to it, the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and half of the tribe of Manasseh. And he wanted to remind them that the warriors, the fighting men, were to cross over and help with the conquest, but the women, the children, the livestock could stay on the eastern side of the river. Well, how would the people respond to Joshua and the Lord's challenge to enter the promised land? Would they turn in fear like they did last time or would they go across? Look at verses 16 to 18. The people answered Joshua, whatever you have commanded us, we will do. Wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. (coughs) Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey it, whatever you may command them, will be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. So the people said, let's go. They did not cower in fear like their parents and their grandparents did 40 years earlier. They said, we are all in. We will fully obey. And what an interesting perspective on history that they have that they fully obeyed Moses. I've read my Bible And they did not fully obey Moses. How quickly they forget. Chapter 1 concludes with the fourth proclamation of the rally cry of the conquest. Be strong and courageous. So here is what is true about the Israelites in this moment. That their success spiritually in this endeavor. It's rooted in the promises of God to the patriarchs, to Moses and to them. But it will be realized through courageous obedience. Entering the land is anchored in the promise of God, but it will be attained through obedience. The people had to actively participate in the process. And guess what? Not only is that true of the Israelites, but this statement is true for you and for me as well. Many theologians view the conquest as a picture or a foreshadow of our sanctification or the process of our spiritual growth. Sanctification is the process where we become more like Jesus and more free from sin in our actual lives. So just as the Israelites were promised the land but had to enter it and possess it, we've been promised to be made more like Christ, but we have to participate with and partner with God in attaining it. And for some of us, those promises of God, of our freedom from sin, of our growing up in the faith are still on the other side of the river. And let me illustrate with a few examples. Take prayer. The Lord has promised you that he will hear and answer your prayer. Sometimes his answer's no, sometimes his answer's yes, sometimes his answer's wait, but he says, I will hear you from heaven and I will answer you. But it requires of us that we what? Pray. We've gotta go to work. Think about the word of God. The Lord has promised that the scriptures will guide us. They will guard us. They will make us wise. They will be a lamp unto our feet. But we have to do what? Read your Bible. Study your Bible. Memorize your Bible. Think about holiness. The Lord has promised us that the the rule and the power of sin has been broken in our lives. That we will be able to overcome every temptation that comes our way. But we have to do what? We have to fight. We have to resist. We have to flee those tempting circumstances. The Lord's promised us rest. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. But in order to achieve that promise, we've got to run to Jesus. The promises of God, they're sitting right there before us. And he wants to give us an abundant and fruitful and fulfilling spiritual life. But we've got to step out into the river and live at the intersection of God's promise and our obedience. Would you pray with me? And right now, why don't you ask the Lord by his Holy Spirit to reveal just one of his promises in your life. That's still on the other side of the river. That you need to pursue an active obedience this week. Well, Lord, you are faithful. And the book of Joshua is going to teach us that. You keep your covenant and your promises. And so, Lord, I pray that we in return would be faithful to you. Lord, I pray that you would give each one of us strength and courage this week to obey your laws and commands and to be faithful to who you've called us to be. Oh, Lord, we'll give you all the glory and all the credit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: As we remember who He is and who He has called us to be, that we are safe in His arms as children of the living God. We sing to Him. You unravel me with the melody, you surround me with the song of deliverance. identity in you and as we were reminded of that god would you empower us by your spirit to live lives pleasing to you lives of worship and adoration for who you are and what you have done we thank you for your promises we thank you for your faithfulness may we be reminded of that day by day we thank you once again for this time to be able to come together and to worship you and to be encouraged by one another pray all these things in Jesus name. Amen. Reminder that our prayer room is open this morning. If you would like prayer, thank you for worshiping with us fellowship. Go peace and love of Christ this week.